The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by Third Love. When it comes to a bra, I like a lot of things to check my boxes. You know what I mean? I don't ask for much. Just the perfect fit, a lot of size options, quality, tagless, convenience, not a mall person, and of course, comfort. So enter Third Love. I'm obsessed, you guys. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering all TSC, him and her listeners, 15% off your first order. This is so fitting for me given recent events. And I truly am using my own code, which is maybe a little embarrassing, but because I have new boobs, I need new bras. So if you guys want to get your own perfect fitting, buttery soft bra, just go to thirdlove.com slash skinny and get 15% off your first purchase. Make sure you guys use the code that is a thirdlove.com slash skinny for 15% off today. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha. Certainly, if you're starting out as a creator, you should spend majority of your time on the content and figuring out who who are you speaking to. Um, ideally, you're not trying to, you know, all of a sudden be a broad lifestyle influencer. You know, where you're talking about everything because that's a really hard way to to grow as, to as someone that's new, right? You need to figure out like what am I saying that's unique and different from anyone else out there, so that I can latch on to that audience and then grow from there. What up, guys? Happy Thursday. Welcome back to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. If you're new to the show, thank you for joining us. That clip was from our guest of the show today, Camille Lee, who is the CEO of Activate, which was formerly named Blog Love Ensure. A ton of you content creators and blog lovers knew that platform. On this episode, we discuss how to get content discovered, effective places to spend your time as a creator, and how to monetize content. We also talk about how to develop confidence in the workplace so you can be more effective and present new ideas. Quick introduction. I'm Lauren Everts. I'm the creator of The Skinny Confidential and the co-host of the Him and Her podcast. And I'm Michael Bostic. I'm an entrepreneur and business operator. And I've specialized in direct-to-consumer marketing over the last 10 years. Most recently, the CEO of the podcast network, Dear Media, which focuses on female content and voices. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone, to this fabulous Thursday episode. As many of you know, we now do a Thursday episode, full episode, every other Thursday. If you're tuning in for the first time this week, make sure you go back and listen to the episode that we released on Tuesday. Um, That was episode number 125, so make sure you don't miss that. And make sure you look for the Thursday episodes every other Thursday. I know it's a little confusing for those of you that have been listening for a long time now that we're doing six a month instead of four. But we still have every Tuesday episode releasing every Tuesday as well as a new Thursday episode, which is a full episode every other Thursday. So be sure to look for both. Lauren, how are the boobs doing? How are they holding up? The boobs are doing great. I feel a little bit better today. I do still want you to wait on me just in case you're wondering. You came home and the house was a mess and I expect you to clean it up. You screwed up though. No, I think I'm showing my worth because normally the house is spotless. So now you can see what it would be like if I couldn't be here. No, you screwed up because we went to your follow-up doctor appointment yesterday and you walked in like 
bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, flew the door open and said, you felt great. And to me, you've been saying the exact opposite. So I'm on to you now. And I realize that my time as a nurse is over. No, Michael, you have not been the best nurse. In fact, I've been watching Nurse Jackie and I feel like you are not Nurse Jackie. Set the bar low if there's any men working out Mm -hmm. there. As soon as you show, you can be a good blog photographer, a good nurse, a cook, any of those things, they're going to hold you to it. So just set the bar low. No, Michael, I hope that you're really going to step it up tomorrow. I'm expecting a lot. You know what's not lazy is my pajama situation. So as you can imagine, I'm pretty specific about my pajamas. I I just don't want tags sticking everywhere. I never have. And Third Love recently sent me a pair of their buttery pink loungewear. I talked about it on the Skinny Confidential a couple months ago, and it was really love at first sight. So seriously, for my whole recovery, I've been wearing their pajamas. It's just really ideal for curling up with a book, specifically Howard Stern's book, which I'm reading, or watching a new show, specifically Nurse Jackie, like I said. Some of the reasons I'm a fan, okay? The fit. Number one, fit is so important. They come in half sizes and they've tested millions of women in the fit department so they know their stuff, guys. So important. Number two, no tags. This is the real win for me. Uh, It doesn't feel like you're wearing a bra at all, which is kind of trippy, but amazing. Number three is the fabric. It's buttery and soft. And number four is there's no wires. So there's no wires poking into your girls. You know what I mean? I should also mention that they have A through H sizing. Okay. Wow. Amazing. The most badass thing though, is there's a fit finder on their website. So you can find your perfect size. You also still feel pretty, especially when you're wearing their pajamas. So you know when you throw on your husband's oversized creature from the Black Lagoon 600-year-old pajamas? That's not happening for me anymore. I'm, I'm getting in the bed and I'm looking cute in my black tee with my black shorts or my pink long sleeve shirt with my pink long pants to get specific. If you're on the fence about which color to choose, I think that you should go for the ballet pink because I love pink. Um, It's one of my favorites. It's a total staple. But like I said, I also really love the black t-shirt with the cute black shorts. They make your butt look amazing. They're so flattering. I wore them last night. Lucky Michael. Michael should feel so lucky with me prancing around in my black third love shorts. As you can see, guys, things are looking up. It's all uphill. Hello, buttery loungewear. Bye-bye, creature from the Black Lagoon pants. Third Love knows that there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering all TSC, him and her listeners, 15% off your first order. So all you have to do is go to thirdlove.com slash skinny to now find your perfect fitting bra. And you're going to get 15% off your first purchase, which is insane. That's thirdlove.com slash skinny for 15% off today. Make sure you get that pink buttery loungewear. Let's jump into a him and her tip because we haven't done one in a couple of weeks. And it used to be a regular segment, but then I didn't like the how it was regular, you know, and I like sticking to a schedule on that stuff. So let's just call it a segment. And this segment is the him and her tip of the week. You like it chaotic. That's why you're married to me. No, I don't think it needs... I think there could be segments in shows, but it, I, I don't like that there's a consistency to it. But it's like, a se- I like consistent segments, but not okay. every single... A frequent plot home. twist. Yes, go You ahead. never know what you're going to get. That's how tip. it is when you come home to me. You never know. My tip is you get to your tip. Ready, Gemini. go. Okay. My tip, her tip, is about zits. So I get so many DMs on Instagram asking me how to fight zits. And I feel like I've really cracked the code on this. Don't mean to brag. And there's three things you need to do for a zit. Okay. The first thing is you need a good zit clay. A zit clay is essential. Nothing crazy, nothing with tons of ingredients. Keep it super simple. I have one that was recommended by my friend Lindsay and D at Browtique. You guys know that's where I get my brows done. Shout out to Lindsay and D. 
And um, it's this one called Lyristat. It's from Sweden and it's it's just amazing. There's no dyes, synthetic or added chemicals. It clears acne, pimples, rashes, bug bites, etc. blackheads. Um, basically, it just pulls out impurities. And I've used it forever. I, I feel like I've used it for like maybe five years. It's it's just like this one gem. I'll leave the link in the show notes. It, it's, it's just to die for, okay? And there's only two ingredients, okay? It's clay and water. We love this. Then you want to pick up a blackhead remover. Those little $3.99 Rite Aid tools that they have in the beauty section. Um, and you want to keep it forever, but make sure you clean it within each use. I like to use like a, a soap in between. Um, and there's going to be one in that's a loop for pressing and extracting. And the other sharp end is for piercing or poking. I like to go for the end that's pressing and extracting. This is to minimize the damage to your skin. A remover is more safe to clear out your pores and it's super, super efficient. So like I said, pick that up at Rite Aid or get one off Amazon and I will leave the link for that too in the show notes. And the last thing is a good serum. You want a good serum. I right now like the one from Dr. Dennis Gross. It's vitamin C serum. It's awesome. It tightens my skin. I feel uh, just so dewy and glowy when I go to bed. Michael's been using it. Um, It kills blemishes. And uh, I just think that that is the perfect trifecta. If you want to go even crazier, you could put a little bit of tea tree oil. Make sure it's all natural on top of the pimple, maybe the next morning, maybe even under your makeup. So that's my, uh, that, that's my zit tips. It's pretty simple, straight to the point, but it's really going to help if you have a huge crater on your face like me right now. Crater face. Crater face. Uh, my tip is much shorter, but it's something that has actually been helping me a lot. And I don't, I don't know if this applies. I know we have a lot of women listeners. I don't know if this applies to women, but I've been having a ton of lower back problems and hip problems, and I haven't been able to figure out what's been going on. I think, um, it's because I carry this wallet for forever in my back right pocket. So my chiropractor told me either stop doing that or switch it to my left. So girls out there, guys, if your if you're, um, significant other is having problems with their back, tell them to switch the wallet. I know it sounds stupid. I know it sounds simple, but that's my tip. And then the second thing is I'm a side sleeper, as many of us are. And I feel like one of my hips has been dropping because I usually sleep on my right side. And so what I've been doing, and a nurse told me this, is to put a pillow, light pillow between my legs if I'm sleeping on my side. And honestly, since I've been doing that, it's made all the difference. So if you're a side sleeper and you're having hip or lower back problems, just try putting a pillow between your legs. It's funny. Once you start doing that, you kind of don't want to go back to sleeping the other way. So that's my him tip of the week. Super simple, straight to the point, no tools involved besides pillows and um, switching your side wallet if you have one. All right, let's jump into the interview with Camille Lee. Camille Lee is the CEO at Activate, which was formerly called Blog Loving Sherman. If you have heard of it, she has over 10 years of experience in influencer marketing, social media, digital media, venture capital, and investment banking. Camille started her career in investment banking and venture capital, as well as business development and strategy roles at Rent the Runway, Refinery29, and Ralph Lauren prior to being named CEO of Activate. With that, please enjoy this insightful conversation with Camille Lee. Before we get into the interview, I have a confession, okay? Michael thinks I'm crazy because of the way I screen my household supplies. I am crazy, but that's another story. That's not the only reason I think you're crazy. (laughs) I just feel like my tiny chihuahuas are near the ground so much that they're inhaling a lot of gross crap full of chemicals, and I don't want that, okay? I want to keep my household products clean, my floors clean, the cups I drink out of, the air I breathe. I want it clean. You get the point, especially in my house. The cleaner, the better. So that's why I want to tell you about Grove Collaborative. One of the standout stars on Grove Collaborative is their method all-natural pink grapefruit cleaner. If that's not on brand, I don't know what is. You guys know I love grapefruit specifically. I also love pink, and I love something that keeps it clean. 
To get even more detailed, you should know that I get all my cleaning supplies from Grove Collaborative. So Grove makes it easy to discover the best non-toxic products. So when I shop on Grove.co, I'm confident that I'm selecting the items that are good for me, my chihuahuas, my home, and the planet. What about me? Oh, you too. (laughs) None of the products are tested on animals, okay? And here's the deal. I have to go. I'm busy. You're busy. We're all busy. So to have one spot to grab all my natural cleaners is so efficient. I'm not running from store to store. I can get it all online in one spot. I also want to talk about seventh generation laundry detergent. This is the only one I use on my sheets and pillows forever. I mean, I've used this for the last like six years. I feel like if you're laying your head on a pillow every night for seven to eight hours, then you want to keep it clean. Also keep it silk too, if you can. I also like their dishwasher detergent. You're eating off your plates and using utensils every day. You're drinking tea. You want to keep it clean, okay? So to get really detailed with you, Grove Collaborative is a reoccurring shipment service that delivers all natural home, beauty, and personal care products directly to your door. Basically, this is all my home essentials in one spot, and they do the work for you because it's all natural and already chosen. They also price match, so you guys know that you're getting the best deal ever. So here's how it works. You get 100 customizable auto shipments on your schedule. So edit, pause, and cancel at any time. You get free shipping and free returns and 100% happiness guarantee. If you guys haven't tried Grove, you have to try it. Make sure you get the seventh generation laundry detergent and the grapefruit spray. For a limited time, my listeners who sign up will get an amazing $30 gift set, a free 60-day VIP membership, and a bonus gift just for you when you sign up and place an order of $20 or more. Just check out Grove and our special offer at grove.co slash skinny. That's grove.co, not .com slash skinny. And like I said, make sure to pick up the products that I snagged. Your dogs, your husband, and yourself will thank you. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Yeah, I mean, I certainly cannot take credit for the launch of Blog Lovin'. Um, the founders of the company, uh, Matthias, Patrick, Dan, and, and Daniel Grand, there are two Dans, um, really founded Blog Lovin'. And at the time, I think they initially wanted to start something that was like akin to like a Yelp for bloggers, once they started talking to bloggers, they very quickly realized like they, they were not interested in that at all. But they did spend more and more time with these bloggers and figured out that they were all like checking out each, other, each other's content. They would have like 18 tabs open, refreshing and like checking to see what the latest content was being uh, published at the time. And at the time, blogging was really the main channel, right? There wasn't the certainly channels. the social channels. And so they're like, why don't you use Google Reader, right? There's a tool out there that helps you do this. They're like, oh, it's too techy, it's ugly. I mean, the beginnings of Bloglovin was a pretty Google Reader. It wasn't like anything revolutionary, um, but it grew like wildfire, like very quickly. Certainly all the, you know, you know, today what we view as like the top talent, the OG bloggers, um, at the time they were just starting out and they were using Bloglovin and the way they set up the platform, you know, it allows the consumer, from a consumer perspective, you can follow as many blogs as you want. They always kept the blogger at the heart of the company, of the platform, meaning that any page views, any traffic that's generated pass through. Right. Like they were not trying to kind of take traffic away. Right. So it was a win, win, win. 
it was a win-win-win. It was a great tool for the creators. Uh, it was a great tool for users. Um, and, you know, for the creators, it was like about content discovery, inspiration, right? What are other people talking about and what's my take on it, right? Um, so that was really the, the beginnings. Um, I joined the company um, when they caught the eye of some investors here in the U.S. Um, and they had moved their headquarters here and they wanted to start thinking about, you know, monetization and business strategy. And that was kind of the first business hire. So I want to go back a little bit just to give, and we're going to talk a lot about Blog Living and, and now the rebrand, but I want to go back. Yeah. I want to I want to learn more about you. Sure. <laughs> what was your upbringing? What was your childhood like? Where are you from? Mm. So I was born in Hong Kong. Wow. <laughs> Have you guys been? Cool. I love yes. Hong Kong. It's an intense. It's like I think it's New York on steroids. Like it is. they party hard over there. Um, I was born there, but I, you know, I moved here. I moved to New York City when I was four. Um, my parents are um, certainly, um, you know, they were from southern China. They uh, went through the Cultural Revolution. Um, they never got to finish high school, and they moved here with nothing. So it's, uh, it's an incredible, you know, when I think about them raising, I have a younger sister, raising two kids in New York City um, with, you know, a language barrier. I have no idea how they did that. Yeah, yeah. I literally have no idea how they did that. And so um, they moved here. We moved around a bit. We moved, we lived in Brooklyn. We lived in Queens. Eventually... Um, they were able to purchase a home in Queens, and that's where I grew up. Uh, I went to high school in the city in downtown Manhattan, um, went to college in Boston, and then kind of came back to New York. I've been in New York since. So what was your, thinking back on your childhood, what was your childhood like as a, coming from an immigrant family yeah. in New York? Was yeah. it difficult, easy, was it? So when you're like, when you're like six or seven years old, you have no idea. Like you're, um, you have no idea that you're, like, you know, your your upbringing was, like, any different from anyone else's. I think it didn't really hit me until I was, like, much older. So I would say that um, the biggest difference was I realized that I had to be the translator a lot of times early on. So, like, parent-teacher conferences. For was your like, family. Yeah, like, that was, like, the weirdest thing, parent-teacher conference. But it is also cool because you could be, like, I am the best in the class. The teacher <laughs> says that no It did not better. work that way. It did not work that way. I So I distinctly remember sitting in a PTA or whatever parent-teacher conference with my mom and my teacher. And teacher's like, oh, you know, Camille's great. Like, she's doing, you know, da-da. And my mom was like, Okay, she was, like, talking to me. She's like, okay, I don't want, like, I know, like, she, there's good stuff. She's like, I want to know the feedback. Like, I want to know, like, what, did she, what are the things that she needs to work on? What's the constructive stuff, right? And so she was very, very, like, direct. And then I had to, like, translate that to my teacher. I was like, she knows. She doesn't want to, <laughs> like, she wants to hear, like, the good stuff, right? Um, not the good stuff, I guess, the bad stuff. And what's and the teacher's reaction to that? They're always, they were always, like, taken aback. They were like, um... Okay. Because they're on the spot and they have I'm to like kind seven, of... I'm like seven, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that was always... Um, they were they were always taken off guard. But it taught me that, you know, always seek out the feedback. People generally won't offer it up, right? So, um, and always listen and, and try to, like, reincorporate and do better. I yeah. bet that's helped you where you are now to always seek out feedback. Yeah, no, it, it definitely has been, like, a, a life lesson. I always think it's it's dangerous when, when everyone's patting you on the back and telling you you're great because yeah. you, you can start to believe the hype, yeah. so to say, and then... And when something goes wrong, you're like, you're like, what, what do you, what happened? I, I thought I was the greatest. Wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. always give Michael feedback. <laughs> I'm in a constant feedback loop. I have loop. a scroll of feedback in my purse. Oh, wow. <laughs> <So> he's like, <laughs> that's good. Right. It doesn't kill you, make you stronger. 
so when did you start to notice, I'm, I'm sure it was before you started, you know, working with Blog Lovin', that there was, there was something that was really about to happen in the influencer space? So I knew nothing about the influencer space before I joined Blog Lovin'. Um, I did know the name Blog Lovin'. Um, so I started out, right out of college, I was an investment banker. So I did that for five years. Um, predominantly, you know, uh, capital raising and M&A. And at the time, you know, it, it was like a great learning experience. It was great, you know, right out of college. It paid well. It was, you know, for a 22-year-old, it was amazing. Um, but I was never, like, my heart wasn't totally in it. And so, you know, in my off time, I would scroll blog loving. I would follow content, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And, um, and you really get to know the people, right? Uh, beyond, you know, they talk about everything from their personal lives to um, what, you know, what the, the sales that are happening right now. And right? at this time, if you can go back and remember, who were the creators that you were looking at? Because what year oh, is man. this? Um, this was, like, maybe, like, twenty. 11 okay something like that 2010 2011 2012 so the industry is pretty new pretty new um I remember I remember man repeller mm-hmm. I remember thinking like oh my god she's so like out of the, she was different from everyone else right she was talking about stuff that and she had such a sense of humor she was an excellent writer and she continues her team is incredible they're in, they're also in Soho right right nearby um I remember her distinctly um I'm trying to think I mean, there were some, like, career fashion, you know, because I had to wear suits every day. So, like, I was always, like, following that. I was like, okay, where do I get, like, cool-looking black suits? That, <laughs> um, and at the time, there weren't, like, that many options. Now there's, like, companies like M.M. Lafleur and, you know, things like that. But, um, yeah, and then food. I've always been really into cooking and food. And so I, I remember following a few food blogs, but I honestly don't remember the specific ones. <laughs> so you're scrolling through looking at all the content on blog mm-hmm. loving, and did, did you seek out blog loving or did blog loving seek out you? Um, so at the time, I honestly, I didn't have the blog loving app or neither was, I just saw the blog loving logo on the blog sites. And so I had just kind of brand recognition with the name. Um, after banking, I went to business school. Um, I worked for a few kind of mid-stage startups, like a rent the runway and refinery 29 blog loving, um, had raised capital here. They had brought in a, uh, a CEO, Joy Marcus. Um, she previously ran um, Daily Motion in the U.S., so lots of video experience. And then, you know, after Blog Lovin', she actually ran video at Condé Nast, Condé Nast Entertainment. So I had worked with her at a venture capital firm in New York uh, previously. And when she was brought in to be CEO, she was like, I need someone that has like the finance chops and the uh, like uh, can be like flexible and actually likes the space and you know I don't know where I'm gonna find this person like tell me you're gonna do it <laughs> basically so somebody to operate the business yeah yeah and I was like I you know and I thought you know Joy had always been you know a kind of a mentor and I looked up to her career and I was like you know what I have no idea where this company is gonna go um, but it it'll probably be a fun ride so I kind of just took the took a leap of faith and, and jumped. When you were in banking, was this around 2008, nine? Yeah. So what was the atmosphere like then? Because it, I had some yeah. friends that came out. Yes. Uh, it, I've had friends come out at the time and they've, they same career path and yeah. they ended up leaving because they said it was so difficult the way people 
dealt with them at that time because yeah. you know the crisis yes uh so i graduated in 2007 okay um, so, so it was like the year before right before right before so i was you know i was hired when things were riding high and it was like we had a big expense accounts i remember being sent to I, I was i worked for a british bank being sent to london with like these crazy you know we were like partying and it Living was great life. yeah and i was like oh wow this is like amazing like i had just gotten out of college um and then like eight months later everything kind of crashed right 2008 um and all of a sudden all the banks were reorganizing the teams um a lot of the reshuffling and the restructuring that was happening you know they cut out certainly the junior staff right away um i was laid off that was i was like 22 and i was part of one of the restructuring restructure processes and um i ended up working for another team at the same bank so like it had happened very quickly so it wasn't like um but it was it was intense and um and the culture is definitely an intense culture to start out in but it's great training honestly um you just i mean you just it's by brute force you work really hard and you you kind of learn things um very quickly so um what do you think the biggest things you learned from that industry that you could apply to you know your current industry yeah totally different industries um but when i think about like just even basic stuff like i can put together a set of slides so quickly i mean that's like anyone that's been in banking knows like you spend a ridiculous amount of time formatting using slides. Google, google slides and I, now i'm using google slides but yeah. you know powerpoint was what i was using previously um but that is actually really helpful like understanding how to tell a story through a, a slide deck and being what do you able do, 10 to slides as short as possible yeah less words oh my you gosh you're, you're making michael doing, so I'm, excited I'm, I'm, I'm subliminally messaging no it's important hey, michael, I, I, I maybe do a okay, slide or two uh, too too many well, cr- you know, cr- is that the feedback you get yeah i, yeah, I, I get a little too creative. inadvertent <laughs> feedback but you know no creatives like to show a lot yeah sorry sidetracked it and like trying to figure out like okay because you know as 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 a 22 year old at a college in that role you're actually exposed to very senior level people very early so your clients are generally like CEOs board of companies you know uh, COOs CFOs and so you you learn how to communicate and present yourself appropriately um, you learn to you know double check triple check like all of those little things that <clears throat> I think is really important and comes back to bite you if you don't have that early training um, but yeah putting together slide deck quickly thinking like just kind of like how to think about a, an industry and how to think about a situation how to build out a quick model like does this all make sense do the numbers and like are you gonna be you know is this viable you know things like that i imagine it takes a certain personality that requires confidence though dealing with you know i you seem like someone that's very confident you can handle talking to the senior level and present yourself but some people i imagine it probably crushes them right you think all of a sudden you're a 22 year old kid and you think you're getting banking and then you're dealing with ceo and there's a lot of money involved right. did you ever experience any of that or were you always um, or you it was I, like so, rise at the challenge type thing yeah i think you learn i think you can build confidence um i don't consider myself like a naturally confident person like i have friends where i, I feel like they were born like out of the womb like totally confident right like to, like i don't think for me it's like i feel like i need to fully understand before I can say, you know, I feel 100% behind something. So, um, so it's not, you know, I do think it's a, it's a, it can be learned and it can be built. Yeah, I definitely think confidence is something you can practice at. You, I think you have to put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable yes. over and over and over again. Yes. That's, that's what has worked the best for me. 
because you've seen and you see how you get out of it yes. and then you remember and you're like well I can do that again and so. you always think it's going to be way worse than it actually is like you always <laughs> assume the worst yes and now I have the foresight on that so I always say okay it helps. you're overanalyzing it's yeah. not going to be that bad pull the band-aid off <laughs> the reason I asked the question about confidence there's a lot of listeners that listen to this show that that's like one of the most common questions is mm. how do you develop confidence and yeah. I think it's scary because like you both said, it's putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations. And when you tell someone that, that's that's what they're trying to maybe avoid. But yeah. I think it's the only way. And I always tell the story that, this maybe not believe it now, but when I used to think about public speaking or mm. speaking in front of people in general, yeah. I was terrified. Yeah. I was like, Same. no way. No way can ever do that. I used to think like, what if one of my friends gets married or what if I had to talk at a funeral? Like, <laughs> the, funeral the funeral example is morbid, but I was like, I'm going to freeze up and now right, right. they can't shut me up. You know? <laughs> I threw him in front of someone. I threw him in front of a couple people. The first time I ever spoke in public, I had to take a tequila shot. <laughs> that helps. That always helps. It did help. Yeah. A and little then, bit of, a yeah. little bit of wine. I, you know, I do that too. A little bit of wine. It's I think it's honestly, it's like pure practice. I, you know, some people are naturally confident. And again, like some, that's great. But I think majority of people, like the more you practice, the more you've seen yourself do it, you build up your own confidence and you kind of go from there. So how did you switch industries? You now you're in a completely different industry and you yeah. said you have to double check, triple check. Now you're in a new industry. How did you come out sort of of the gates with confidence? So... I don't, I don't feel like I came out of the gates with confidence. Um, so leaving banking was definitely a big decision for me. Um, it was like, you know, um, I, I knew I, I the, the, the final decision factor was like, I did not want to be a managing director at the bank. So I was like, well, the more, the longer I stay, the harder it's going to be because it's more money on the table that, you know, like you just, it just gets harder and harder. So, um, so once I decided that, then I was like, okay, well, I, you know, what would I want to do? And I kind of thought, okay, like at the time, you know, digital media commerce was like very new um, and very undefined. And there was a lot of companies that were coming out, you know, in that space. And I was like, you know what? It, se it seems like there's a lot to be done in these areas that are kind of undefined. And I could probably learn a lot there. And, um, you know, I certainly didn't want to work for a dying industry. So um, so that was kind of how I, you know. And then um, I kind of started over. I basically, like, I took an unpaid internship at Refinery29, essentially. And I was like, I you know, I told, I'm told i actually meeting the guy that I worked with, um, Patrick. I don't know if you know Patrick Yee from Refinery. But it sounds no familiar. But no longer there anymore. But, um, but I was basically like, hey, like, I'm going back to business school. No pressure. I don't need a full-time job. Like, I just want to learn about this space and, and, and see if this is what I want to pursue. Um, totally different environments. I went from, like, an all-male work environment to, like, Refinery29, which was predominantly female, um, and that was really interesting, and, like, learning about, like, Google Analytics, learning about, like, what were CPMs, and, like, traffic. the basics, yeah, yeah. like, tra what drives traffic, Pinterest at the time was just starting to come out, and they were doing a lot of testing with Pinterest, and I remember, keywords, and everything that keywords, goes, yeah. SEO, like, all of this stuff that I had no idea about, um, so that was great, and then from there, it was just, like, more and more conversations, like, learning about different companies, and, I tried, you know, during my two years at business school, it was in uh, New York at Columbia, I tried to um, just learn as much as possible about different business models. Different, I was like, you know what, I have two years, like, let me just take this and like, forget about the money, like just really try to learn as much as possible and figure out like, what do I want, what I don't want, and go from there. So as you learned this stuff, 
and now that you've learned so much, this, I thought of this question as you're speaking traffic and all the all the different tools that you, that you mentioned that bloggers and content creators should know about, but maybe don't necessarily focus on as they're starting because a lot of people are creatives and they don't get into the analytics yeah. and the back end and the SEO yeah. and tagging and all that stuff. That's, I think that's probably the world that I come from and you come from. What, what do you see new bloggers or content creators? What do you think like, not, I don't want to say it's a mistake, but something that is ignored that could help their blog grow or drive more traffic that they're mm. just not paying, that you see it's an easy thing to do, but they're not paying attention and they're neglecting it. Like, is there, is there one thing like after running this, company and seeing all these different blogs there's something you're saying like hey if, if bloggers just did this or content creators just did this for their platform it would increase traffic and views hmm. um well i think that um certainly if you're starting out as a creator you should spend majority of your time on the content and figuring out who who are you speaking to um ideally you're not trying to you know all of a sudden be a broad lifestyle influencer you know when you're talking about everything because that's a really hard way to to grow as, to as someone that's new, right? You need to figure out like, what am I saying that's unique and different from anyone else out there so that I can latch on to that audience and then grow from there. I would say it's like looking at, you know, trying to get as much information around what is engaging your audience, right? And so maybe it's digging into your Google Analytics. Maybe it's looking at time spent on a certain piece of content, right? Whether whether you're publishing on an Instagram or or on your blog, um, but then from there, maybe devote a certain portion of your time just testing new ways to promote that content. Because um, there's no one, you know, it, it changes so quickly. You know, at you know for some for some time, like if you were early on Instagram, you're early on. You can only be early on something if you're continually testing. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> and if you're, you know, you do get benefits um <clears throat> if you are early on something right so yeah. you get like that you initial... don't want to wait for something to pop like if something's announced like what's the what's yeah. the harm and just saying oh i'm gonna try this and see yeah. if i you know as yeah. a creator i i even i even w write down exactly who i'm talking to i've mm. done that from the beginning like I, I always say I know what kind of music she's listening to. I have a name for her. I picture her. And so every time I'm tailoring my content, I'm constantly thinking of of who this person is. And yes. I think when you have that in your mind as an influencer, it's either it's it's easier to communicate your story. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, so I wanna talk about your favorite failure. You, if you had to pick something that maybe a failure that you just look at and you think if that failure didn't happen, maybe I wouldn't be here today. Please don't say doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me think. Okay. So this is like, I think I was maybe 13 or 12, like I was in high school and there was some summer program that I remember that I, I really wanted to go. I like I, I, I honestly don't even remember exactly what it was like some sort of like educational like summer camp thing. And I remember like begging my parents like because it was relatively expensive. And I was like, I really if I get in, I really want to go like da -da. And I got them to like agree, basically. Um, and so I like was working on the application and all of that. And I, I messed up on the submission dates. And I didn't get the application in on time and it was like I you know I didn't even have a shot basically right I didn't even have like I wasn't even able to like throw my hat in the ring and I distinctly remember that and remember like being so upset and knowing that it was my fault um, but it was like a very basic thing like if you're not if you don't show up you're not getting anywhere right so and I think like that was something that was very like just just be there that's like the basic thing like 
do the do the basics right and then you kind of riff from there um I don't know if that's like a good but I, I just distinctly remember feeling like that was that was um something that I completely missed the mark and it was completely my fault and you know now I have no idea where that could have gone right um and in, at the time it was so important to me that I was just like how did I mess like I just wasn't organized enough so it was like basic basic stuff it was like almost like you couldn't believe that that it even occurred yeah it was like and and then you you realize very quickly that you know the world doesn't revolve around you right like you i'm still trying to learn that (laughs) you're you know sometimes you you mess up and sometimes you get you know you get a slap back for that so yeah so activate has been sorry the name of our influencer marketing technology platform the you know, it was already the name of the influencer marketing technology. Um, and our, as a company and as a business, that was really where we were focused um, for some time. Um, Blog Lovin' as a platform continues to be our kind of owned and operated media platform, essentially. They, you know, it still continues to drive traffic to hundreds of thousands of creators globally. What we view our value prop, right, for creators is like there's the traffic generation piece, there's the discovery element, but then there's also monetization opportunities on the platform. And from the very beginning, it's been about scale. It's been about, you know, a diverse broad set of creators um, and it's the same with the activate platform there's 154,000 creators that are opted into that platform you know we we, ha- we pull live analytics around their Google Analytics their Instagram Instagram stories Facebook etc so um, so as a company we had already evolved um, obviously the blog love and brand had been around for so long and so ingrained in the community so internally we always like we're like you know, it, we knew there was a conflict when we talked to brands and when we talked to, you know, partners. They're like, well, blog, so are, do you do blogs only? You know, do you do Instagram? Like, that was always the question. And we knew there was confusion in the marketplace. It just took us some time to kind of rip off that Band-Aid because there were so many fears. Like, well, you know, this brand's been built for so many years. It's on all these different blogger sites across the world. Um, but it, at the end of the day, it was like, we had already made that decision as like strategy and you know where the business was and we just needed to make sure that there was a cohesive story externally as well so where do you see content going and i don't just mean you know obviously people are going to keep keep creating content but with blogs like you know and all the social channels are introduced and you guys have had your fingers on the pulse the entire time what do you see the next evolution of content being is it a certain platform play do you see blogs continuing to grow yeah. if you were if you were coaching a content creator now and you know we we were kind of we were diving into this a little bit earlier there's instagram stories and instagram yeah. tv and yeah. youtube it's like where would you focus attention or where do you think that attention's going well, you know, I think in the last few years, Instagram has really proven to be um, a major player as a content platform. Um, you know, they have been really smart about how they've launched new features on the platform. Um, you know, and they've been very uh, transparent around, you know, taking even like copying features, right, from a Snapchat. But that there's a, a massive audience on that platform and they're only increasing the different mediums of content on there whether it's you know still images or short videos now long videos Um, so as a channel it's been really fascinating to watch Instagram Um, but that being said you know at least from our company viewpoint and how I see it you know similar to how how the both of you see like the creator at the center 
there's a lot of different channels that you can create content on and and you know podcasts being one you know youtube facebook instagram all these other channels um it, it is about the personality at the core like what is your what are you communicating what's the value that you're communicating to your audience it's a great answer and then like what are all the different cha- like there's different reasons you tap into different channels you know um Something that we always talk about as well, like how do you think about content that's on Pinterest versus on Instagram? Like Pinterest, there's, I almost see it as like, okay, the consumer funnel. Like where are you in that funnel? Are you at the consideration phase? Like at least all the time that I spend on Pinterest, it's like decorating, you know, I have like a different board for each room in my house and it's, you know, it's like these are all the products that I'm considering purchasing and then I probably narrow it down to something and purchase one of them. I want to discuss monetization because you talked a little bit about it. So if there's a blogger out there that's listening and, um, you know, maybe she's a micro influencer, how would you recommend she starts monetizing? Where would you tell someone to start? And let's say they have not monetized yet. Yeah. If you're a micro influencer, you know, I wouldn't even tell them to think about monetizing. I completely agree. Because, you you know, chances are they've, you know, they have a certain amount of their followers that are like friends and family, right? And then they maybe haven't totally figured out who their audience is. Like what is hitting home and like focus on the content. I think that's like the most important thing early on, you know, until you've developed that audience. Like not to say this influencer needs to become massive, right? It's, I think it's much more valuable to have, you know, whether it's 10,000 followers where you, it's like literally the exact audience that you've decided that you want to talk to, right? That's so much better than having 50,000 of random people. What's interesting about that is when we came to this medium, the podcast, it was obviously it was a standalone. Lauren had her blog and she was monetizing and she had brand deals at the time. But when we started this podcast, we didn't think about monetizing it until about a year in. That was not our focus at all. It was like build the channel out. Because you have to be careful in the beginning. You start to get traction and then all of a sudden you start serving someone, you know, ads or monetization and then you lose. They're like, okay, I was here to learn about this type of content and now I'm learning about some juice or whatever. I look back when I started eight years ago and I, I, I see what, what I, I look back and I think, Oh my God, this is, it's so cool because I went into this industry with the intention to provide value and quality content. And that is all I focused on for three years. And I did not make a dime for three years. Yeah. And I, I think now when I talk to people that want to be influencers or bloggers, the first question they ask me is how do you monetize? And I look at that as that's a very short term. Yes. Yes. It's not a long term game. Yes. So for me, if I like if you're out there, you're listening, you're just getting into this to this space. Just really think about what your intention is. And if it is to just make money, that's okay. But you, you have to know that that comes with a set of cons. Yeah. If there is someone that's maybe a bigger influencer that's listening, what, what do you, with what, an established audience, with an established mm-hmm. audience, what would you recommend they do if it, if it is sort of time to monetize? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, certainly looking at what channels you're super strong on, right? Not everyone is on every channel and maybe figure out what those are, figure out who your audience is, define that audience, measure that audience, because you're going to have to give those answers to, to brands the minute you start talking to them yeah. anyway. Um, figure out, you know, figure out compelling ways that, you know, as a creative, you spend your time thinking about, okay, like what's like a cool way, what's a new way of communicating X, right? Figure out how you tie that in a unique way to 
a brand or a product, right? Like, so that you're not like fully just a product placement. Um, what is your sell, essentially? Um, knowing that very clearly means that every meeting that you do have with a brand or an agency or whoever it is that you start talking to means that you have that much of a stronger sell and conversation. Um, and they're much more likely to, your win rate is gonna be that much higher, right? So making sure you have that foundation, I think is probably the most, the first piece. Um, certainly there's the, you know, do you, um, do you, do you find representation um, so that you do have someone that's there to support you and help you really build out the business? You know, especially like, you know, I think we, we talked about this earlier. If you're, if you're a creative, you're, you're so in your content, like maybe you're not that kind of business side yeah. brain person, right? And so um, having someone on your side, whether it's an agent or it could just be, I don't know, it could be some a friend that is, you know, business-minded that can help you, you know, think about those things. Um, I do think it's easier now more than ever um, to be discovered and considered for brand partnerships, right? Um, you have... You yeah, know, brands are savvy now. They're look, and they're looking. And they're looking. Yeah. And there's technologies in place that allow for discovery in a way that was not available, um, you know, three, four years ago. Um, and they're also, the mindset has changed where the brands want to find the folks that are up and coming. Um, because, one, they see that, you know, this person may not have done as many sponsored stuff in the past and maybe there's less saturation um but also just kind of like getting to work with someone that's like kind of on the rise there's something about that as well so um so the mindset the tools that are now in place like there's there's definitely more opportunity than ever before can i tell you from like because i said earlier i come from the consumer space and, yeah. and the marketing space one thing that i've noticed both in the podcast space and in the influencer space is that there's this big hunger or, or need or drive to want to partner with brands, mm. but there's not as big of a drive to then want to perform for those brands. It's almost like I got mm. that deal. What's the next deal? Mm. And I always tell people like take less deals, but really focus on a great partnership, driving results for that brand. Because, you know, anybody that's a sponsor of this podcast, we really vet them and we're, we're careful with who we allow on. Yeah. But I look at them as in a way, par partners of the show, yeah. right? Like they're, they're what enables this show to be built out. Yeah. And I want to drive results. I think if you're a creator or an influencer, like it's, these are the people you're partnering with. That's what they are. They're your partners. It yep. shouldn't just be like one and done. I got to find the next one. Right, right. That's, that's also how, you know, people end up getting bad reputation saying, yeah. Hey, that person doesn't care. Or they yeah. just, they want to get that deal and then move on. Like, right. I think there's two sides to it. In any business, it's so much easier to win repeat business than to break new business, right? So, 100%. Um, so if you are thinking about it long game, right? Like you, that makes a hundred percent sense. Um, I think that there's also the element of the fact that there, I think there's an inclination from both the creator and the, um, the brands now to have longer term relationships. And those longer term relationships don't come out of the gate. Like, you know, a brand is not going to come up to you and say, all right, cool. I want to sign you for two years. Like that's not happening, right? Like they need to have worked with you for built a while. that trust. They see that you perform and then those opportunities come, right? And so keeping in mind that these opportunities may not be like out there and you may not, um, it may not be pitched to you right away, but if you perform, if you do, 
new opportunities come up. They're not understanding that if you, you know, if you, let's say you burn a brand and like on one, then it's not coming back. But if you do really well, then it's, there's a chance that it keeps going. Like, you know, like I said, for this show, we try to do four months, six months, a year long partnership. It's great. And then, you know, you can be very selective with who you work with and you're not oversaturating your audience, you know, because there's nothing worse than, you know, you have 30 different ad campaigns. It's like, which companies do these people actually like? Yeah. And depending on the vertical, you know, it can be very awkward, right? Like, I mean, if I'm thinking like if you're, a, you know, a, a mommy blogger, for example, and you're you're repping Pampers and all of a sudden you switch brands, like, you know, as, you know, for, for beauty and for fashion, you can rep a lot of different brands and it, it seems fine and natural as long as you like People are still right funny way. in that space about talking about monetization. They think it's like not good to monetize or maybe you don't want to say you're advertising. For me... And I think for Lauren, if you love a brand and you like, like, yeah. you should talk. Like, that's yeah. that's the whole idea. I can't idea. shut up when I love a brand. I mean, it's so, <laughs> whether I'm paid or not, I can't shut up about it. It becomes, everyone's like, we get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you've been successful in getting me to purchase products. I know that. I mean, we have these, we have these, um, what are, I don't know. GG crackers. GG Scandinavian crackers. Yes. yes. You guys got me GG crackers. We have juice here. We have a little sparkling water. The, no, but the entire, like the office talks about this. They, they really make things from your, moving. From this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Which is, so, I mean, that's like, you know, in my mind, you know, when I, when I talk to brands or, or investors and, you know, cause there's a, there's definitely skepticism about this influencer space. Yeah. <clears throat> this is a prime example, but like, I would have never found this. And now, like, my husband is eating it for breakfast. Good right? for your husband. I so, like that. Yeah, he needs that fiber. So, yeah, like, this is... <laughs> no, it's important. And, we, you know, we did a whole show about, like, why that's important. But, no, yeah. I think the reason people are skeptical about talking about it is because mm-hmm. they're doing that thing where it's like, I got to get another brand deal, another... Like, for us, anybody that's a sponsor of this show, we have vetted and love those products. So, I don't mind, you know, I don't mind plugging them or talking about it all the time because they're partners of this show. And I want yeah. our audience to know about it because it's stuff that we like yeah. and we vet. I was, you know, I was listening to Tim Ferriss and I know he's doing certain ads, but I know the parameters of the vetting process that he's put those those companies and those mm. brands through. So, I trust it. It's fine. Like, I, I hope he gets paid. Great. He's, yeah. he's delivering great content. Yep. And I'm also learning about these great brands. It doesn't bother me. I think where people go wrong with it is they're like, oh, maybe I don't really believe in this. And I took a a brand deal. And now I'm ashamed that I took that deal. So I'm going to try to shuffle it under the rug. And then you've, you've ruined your audience and you've ruined the possibility of you know, partnering with other brands or getting a long-term partnership. It's funny. No, for sure. It's It's strange. I mean, and you're viewing it as a real partnership. So it's not like, you know, certainly there's contracts. We know that in this space, right, there's a scope of work and all of that, but I think when there's a true partnership, you on both sides, you kind of give a little bit more, right? Because yeah. you you value the the relationship, and it's not like everything down to the bullet points of like what you've promised and delivered. And that's when there's there's a great partnership in place. I want to do a plot twist because I'm obsessed with with a certain question, and you're obviously a very very big boss. You're, I mean, you have 22 people in this beautiful <laughs> office in New boss York lady. City. How do you tailor your day to be as efficient as possible? Oh, I think about this all the time. I'm obsessed with this. It's like my yes. favorite topic. And because the more you can squeeze out, like I'm not, a, I mean, I've been in an industry where you work like literally as many hours as you can. Like I'm not a huge fan of expansion of hours. It's more like how do you squeeze in as much and be really, and it's more fun that way anyway, right? Like no one's sit around and twiddle, twiddle their thumbs, right? So for me, um, my normal day, I'll like get up around 6 or 6.30 I'll have coffee. I'll probably do like quick emails, like set up meetings, like little quick things like that, like LinkedIn messages, things like that in the morning. Um, I usually 
do any kind of like external meetings at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. So like breakfast or end of day coffee or drinks or something like that. So then like during the day, I can really have more either internal meetings and hopefully have time to just like think and do my own thing. Um, that's like something I, I miss the most, I think since tra transitioning into this role is like there's just so much more like talking to external and internal people. And so the amount of me like my own time to actually think and do analysis and do work like that's so much there's less of it so um so i try to like kind of bundle that time if possible um and then certainly you know like things like client meetings and things like that <clears throat> try to bundle that like into short trips like two day chicago trip one week west coast trip you know and do like pack in as many meetings as we can so um, other time management things. There's a lot that you can do when, like, you're on the subway or, like, the, when you're commuting. the filler times, like, the 10 minutes here and there. You can make lists. I slack myself, like, a to-do list usually. I use Wonderlist. I use OneNote on my – you know, so, like, kind of just, like, Do you ever use organized. Evernote? you like Evernote? I used to use Evernote. I don't know why I stopped, but then now I use OneNote because I'm, like – Someone told me about it, and then I just got. And then I. It's like similar. Yeah, it's similar. Yeah, you can search. There's like different folders and things like that. So, those things are are helpful. Um, going into each meeting with like an under like a quick checklist. You don't need like a full blown agenda, but like these are the things you want to cover. This is what you want to get out of it. So like those meetings That's aren't a like a tip. waste of time. That's you know a what good I mean? Tip, That's something that I'm navigating. It's like you know when you work in an office with a with a lot of team members, a lot yeah. of the day can be sucked up into meetings, meetings yeah. or interactions. You're like, what did we actually accomplish? Yeah. You leave, everyone's like high fiving, and you leave. You're like, wait a minute, <laughs> like, did we get anything? What's done? the next steps? Like, what is you know what are all the things that we need to cover? And are are all the people that need to be in the room in the room? And then are there like like extra people that shouldn't be in the room that you know like they sh they should have time to do other things two things yeah would you one for leaders and one for someone that's working in an organization if you're a leader and you're trying to communicate to your team yeah what would you suggest and when, it, when you're structuring a meeting and then uh -oh. we'll go the reverse if you're a team member what would you bring to yeah. the leadership yeah so um leaders um over communicate repeat yourself don't expect that everyone heard everything you said like the first time i think like just a lot of that like re re repetition if anything i feel like i need to do a better job of, of doing that um constantly like feeling the pulse where people are and i think that's like you know whatever you call it like emotional intelligence whatever like figuring out like where people are right like especially if you're running a team like are people happy are they not how they motivated does this person feel like seem like they're in it or not you know like I really like I valued spending time doing that and having one-on-ones with everyone in the company I mean we're small enough that I can do that um for folks that are um contributing and you know part of a team bring ideas bring uh be organized, come with your plan. Like, don't necessarily look for the direction because sometimes you may come up with a better idea. You may come up with a better plan. Like, be proactive, I would say. Because a lot of, you know, a lot of times people, I feel like, will wait for their boss or their manager to say, do this. It's less fun that way anyway, right? Yeah. Like, if you are the one championing something, like, hey, you're not 100% of your ideas will cross the finish line, but at least you're taking that initiative and, you know, you may come up with something that no one else thought or about. Or might trigger somebody's idea and say, oh, that, yes. that, I always tell people, give me every idea and then we'll figure out how to tailor. Cause y you can get, if you're in a leadership role and like you said, like the feedback and, and nobody's giving you 
you know, feedback. feedback and, yeah. and you're sitting there like, this is great. And everyone's like, uh, yeah. like I would rather have people speak up and say, Hey, what about this way? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, um, and for everyone, I think like no ego around like whose idea it is. I, I think it should just be meritocracy. Yeah. In a large organization, it's hard because like, you know, that in some cases is kind of your way to kind of like make your mark and make your name in it, you know, but I feel like, you know, a lot of times the best ideas come from like someone riffing on someone else's ideas. So like who gets credit? Who cares? Like that's like, if anything, who executed it well should get credit, I think. Um, so, you know, that sort of stuff um, I think is important um, because the, it, egos, I feel like is like the biggest issue like when people don't get along or when there's a problem or when someone leaves or like all of those is wrapped up in some sort of ego issue. What is a book or a resource or a podcast of something that you look to um, a lot is something that you could recommend to the audience that they would, you know, get value from? Yeah. So I have two, two of my favorite books. This is like a little bit nerdy. I, um, I'm a huge Warren Buffett fan. I think he's, um, he's a genius. He is a genius. Um, He, there's a, biography on him called the snowball um and and you've read it um i love that book it's a really quick read so easy read you can order on amazon (laughs) i'm ordering it right now i love his partner too we need you to make an amazon list you got to make your own amazon list i okay i will (laughs) i don't know I i don't have an audience so um but that's a great book i mean he i mean he's someone that like started with like his savings basically. And now he's like, I don't even know how, you know, but like just kept investing, kept like, and, and, but it wasn't, he never did it for the money. It was like, he, it was for the challenge of figuring out the right investment and the right, you know, so that, that was really interesting to show like really how that compounds on itself. If you were, if you're really passionate about something, it's not just, it's, you know, it's, it, you don't know what the end game is going to be. You can't plan 18 steps ahead. So that was like a cool, um, and then you learn about all the different people that's come in and out of his lives, like different investments, different um, CEOs that he's worked with. And like, you know, there's one story I think of, um, actually this is in a second book. So the second book is called The Outsiders. Have you read that one? Is that by Malcolm Gladwell? No. Mm, I Wait. actually don't know who's it, who it, but it. Not the one by S.E. Hinton about Pony Boy. No, no, no. There's Chad. two outsiders. That I, that's the first outsider. I know which I book you're. Is it like the the it's wording on the like, front is like kind of yes, skewed? Yeah, it's I, about I like eight about. different CEOs or something like that, um, that are like non-traditional, like not who you would normally think would be CEOs. Like one is Kay Graham, who is like the the CEO of um, Washington Post. Um, a good majority of those CEOs worked with Warren Buffett, so that was like an interesting, oh, that's interesting. link. But and then there were a few that didn't. Um, but it was really about like each of their stories and how they ended up there, essentially. And you know, obviously, Kay Graham's story came out in the Post, the movie that that is I think out right now or recently came out. Um, but she's really interesting because she was someone that did not have confidence going into that role like she was kind of given the ceo role because her husband passed away and it was her family's business um and like how she like and but she had the confidence and the nerve to like stand up to the u.s government right so um those two books love i'm ordering them and i can always reread because i feel like there's like little tidbits that i probably missed the first time around did you watch that buffett documentary on hbo which one? There's a few, but it's it probably pretty recent. It's only about an hour long. It's one where he goes to McDonald's each day, and depending yes. on if the economy. I mean, he's like down, totally quirky. I yeah. mean, he's like, um, but I mean, he's identified these companies and these people. And it, at the end of the day, it's, he's identified people that he trusts. Um, there was um, 
there was another investment that he did. It was like a furniture mart or something like that. Do you remember? It was like this old lady that came, this immigrant lady that came from, I don't know where, but like she was like a hard ass and she started this furniture company by selling like basically reduced cost furniture and it grew this into this like ridiculous company because she was, I like she, I almost feel like she was like the Jeff Bezos of, of furniture. Like she was just like, you know, ran that business so efficiently to the point where her competitors couldn't compete. Like, there was just no way. Like, she just charged less for everything and then grew from there. You know why else I like those two guys, Munger and him? It's yeah. not even for the bi- – I mean, the business stuff's amazing, but for the morals aspect of it. Like, those yeah. are two, like, very morally good pe- – like, they're good, good people. And yeah. It's, and, like, if you, and they show, like, what that looks like over the long term. And, yeah. You know, the relationships, the reputation, all of similar it. to what you're talking about in terms of building like longer term. You can learn a ton just from looking at the way they are with with, with well, how they interact with humans. How to treat people, how to treat people mm-hmm. on your way in and on, on your way out. You know, those are those are really good lessons. That was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Where yeah. can everyone find you? Pimp yourself out. Um, She's like, I don't know if I want people to find me. <laughs> <laughs> you could blog love and activate. Oh, um, so our company website, activate.social. Um, that's an influencer marketing technology. We also have a small stu- studio team that runs managed programs with brands. Um, so act- that's try.activate.social. Um, I mean, we're on all the different social media channels um, at activate underscore social. We'll link everything too. Yeah. And what about your Instagram if you want to pimp it out? Or your um, new Amazon, your forthcoming <laughs> Amazon page. I'll start doing, yeah. Um, I am at MiuMiu, M-I-U-M-I-U-810. Awesome. Thank, thank you, you for, for coming on. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> hey, guys. Wait. Don't forget to check out the new podcast site over at tscpodcast.com. All of the show notes from this episode and all of our other episodes can be found there. It's this awesome resource that highlights all of the amazing people we've talked to, all the different books and resources they've recommended, as well as things that we've recommended. We also have this cool section for new listeners who are trying to get caught up to speed. So check it out, tscpodcast.com. And make sure to check out the episode that aired on Tuesday because there's two this week. As always, little giveaway, five beauty products. If you want to win, just let me know your favorite part of this episode on my latest Instagram. And you guys, you're all badass. Thank you for listening. Your support is what keeps this show going. We appreciate you. We love you. This episode was brought to you by Third Love. When it comes to a bra, I like a lot of things to check my boxes. You guys know what I mean? I like the perfect fit. We don't like tags. I like a lot of size options, quality, convenience. Not a mall person, you know that. And of course, comfort. So Third Love came into my life a couple months ago and I'm absolutely in love with it. They know that there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering all TSC listeners 15% off your first order. Again, that's so fitting for me given my recent events. So if you want to get your own perfect buttery soft bra, go to thirdlove.com slash skinny and get 15% off your first purchase. Make sure you guys use that code. That's thirdlove.com slash skinny for 15% off today. This episode was also brought to you by Grove Collaborative. Grove Collaborative offers healthy alternatives to household supplies, and we use it for all of our cleaning supplies. To try Grove Collaborative, go to grove.co slash skinny. Again, that's grove.co, not .com slash skinny for $30 in free supplies, a special gift, and a two-month VIP membership. We will see you next week.